Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast slash recap. Um, excited to be here. We have a special guest with us. I don't know if anyone knows him, John Hoagland. And, good uh, afternoon, my, my futures family. It's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, Hoag basically promised a recap this morning, and we realized, oh, S, that's the same time we do this. So we're kind of doing a combo. Hoag's going to give us a recap. We'll join in. We'll talk to the markets today. And then we're going to talk a little bit about revenge trading. So it should be a nice, tight half hour. Without a doubt. Well, Hoag, why don't you talk about what happened in the markets today? Okay, well, with, without the charts, we're just going to kind of look through the crude E-mini S&Ps and the NASDAQ and gold a little bit. Crude, what a fail of a of a, uh, of a a breakout of a trend line that occurred yesterday. Now it's adhering to the next trend line if you move that up. Uh, crude oil actually closed at 70.87 down $1.43 or 1.87%. Still rumors or news that the government is going to start refilling the petroleum, the, the strategic petroleum reserve, I should say, sometime in June, probably when crude oil is about $90 a barrel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're missing out on the best crude trade of all time. Right. You know, <laughs> right. you think what you want about Joe Biden, the guy's been one hell of a crude trader so far, but uh, yes, now's yeah. the time to buy. Yes, right. Um, they did say of you know a few, a few months ago that they were going to start buying crude at seventy dollars, and they really kind of put in a low there, but they didn't do anything. They didn't buy anything. So I know everybody's kind of watching the seventy level because they kind of tipped their hand as to where this is where they would like to start to refill it. But I digress. Um, just a kind of a, a, a route to the downside in the overnight, just falling into balance throughout the day. The equities ended with mixed results today. The Dow, the S&P was down about eight points unofficially. NASDAQ up 35 and the Dow down about 220 points. Then the S&P is still just centrally located in the area of balance. That balance really proved to be true today as the market barely traded outside of the value area from yesterday. So really kind of a range-bound day, uh, a kind of a rest day after... I don't think yesterday was any big uh, volatile event after the API. Of course, I didn't get to participate because of my internet, but we're still hanging right in that area. Uh, the NASDAQ, again, was teasing at opening and closing above the last week's, well, it did close yesterday above last week's high. And we did get a little bit of an extension to the upside today in the NASDAQ, Really looking stronger, acting stronger, you know, um, printing stronger on the charts. Take a look at the 30-minute chart here just briefly. So, yeah, the market kind of looked into yesterday's range and value, but uh, it did uh, dig its way out, closing higher, overlapping to higher range, overlapping to higher value. And one last thing to look at here is gold. Looks like the dollar... Got some legs to the upside today, back up around over 102 for a little while today. Not quite sure where it closed, but uh, that kind of took a little bit of the wind of any upside move in gold out of the picture. Uh, the market, you know, was kind of volatile here as we opened up, and then we just had uh, the dollar that leaked over 102 
And that just was enough to take gold back down to test of a previous weekly kickoff low. Uh, it looks like dollar is currently at a 101.88, which isn't too far off from where it started the day, just a little bit higher. So it did come off its highs at one point today. But tomorrow's Friday. It's uh-huh. Capital Preservation Friday. And we don't have anything really important other than the University of Michigan sentiment due out tomorrow, and as well as import-export prices, probably not all that impactful. But the end of another week, the end of another chapter in your trading year, in your trading book. Good point, Hogue. My wife used to have a roommate from Norway who was a little forward with certain things, and she used to say, like, just to your face, if she didn't like the situation, say, it's sub-barring. And I feel like that's kind of what the market's today. The market, the equities, everything was sub-barring. So I guess you're right. hungover after uh, the CPI number yesterday uh, is what I always like uh, to say. Does that mean like, meh? Yeah, meh. This is boring. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. No boring. Jack's trying to put an accent on it. Yes, slightly. That's my version of Norwegian. Uh, (laughs) My... Apologies in advance to everyone for doing that. So, uh, Hogue, in addition to recap, we wanted to talk a little bit so we could put this out about revenge trading. We've seen from a lot of questionnaires and things of that nature uh, from people that are in the program or otherwise that they have problems with revenge trading. So in case you don't know, revenge trading is just like it sounds. Uh, You are trying to get revenge, uh, Montoya style, on the market. It goes without saying why that isn't wise, because the market doesn't care uh, what's happened to you that day. It'll do what it does. You're kind of anthropomorphizing it there. But it's something we've all felt. We've all revenge traded. Maybe if it's not against the market, you just, a position goes against you, and you just feel like you have to will it into a winner. So Dan, make it start. What do you think is the best way to deal with revenge trading or an experience you've had with it? Well, I mean, dealing with it, it first comes down to how do you recognize that you're revenge trading? Um, I think that's the first thing you have to do as a trader. You're going to experience it. And there's going to be times where you're emotional in your trading. Market may be against you, uh, but you're still making sound decisions. And part of you may think, okay, well, I hope this trade gets me back to a decent P&L. But you're still trading based off your plan. Um, that's okay. It's when you start really focusing on your PL. You're not really paying attention to what that market's doing. You're sizing up. You're looking at the market going, okay, it's starting to move. I'm just going to jump in really quick. And you've deviated from your plan. Um, so mm-hmm. that to me is one of the first things you want to think about. Did I deviate from my plan? How do I create then rules to protect myself from being stupid? Plain and simple. Uh, when you're revenge trading, you're you're making stupid decisions. You're not you're not making smart decisions. You're not making educated decisions. Um, so to me, some of the best things you can do are have specific rules within your system and your strategy. And you have to be disciplined to them. You can have all the rules in the world if you're not disciplined to your your trade plan. If you're not disciplined to your strategy, the rules are pointless um, and hold yourself accountable. So I would say this for me. One of the best things that I do, as soon as I start to trade PL and I'm not trading the market, that's a rule to stop. Um, I'm very fortunate this day and age. I'm not really, I don't find myself doing that very often anymore. Absolutely. Do I watch PL throughout the day? 1000% I do. Um, it's telling me if I'm feeling good at things or if things aren't going my, my way, that's okay. But when I start trading it and I'm looking at the PL and going, okay, let's get in. And I'm all, all I'm watching is that PL 
in the corner and I'm not watching the market, that's a sign to get out. Um, part of my rules is if I trade PL, get out. I also set loss, loss rules. Um, three losers in a row for me is a clear indication I am not in a good place. So what I have found is when I start taking more than three losses in a row, this little switch in me clicks on. And that switch, we don't ever want that switch turned on. That's like the red button underneath the, the cap. You have to turn a key and smash the switch. When that is hit, um, it's not going to be good. I, I start trading way outside of my strategy. I'm sizing up. I'm doing making poor decisions. Um, so to me, having those rules in place, finding where that switch flips in yourself, everyone can be different. Uh, maybe you're a person that takes 20 or 30 trades in a day. I'm one that maybe takes three to four in a day. I'm not taking that many trades. I'm looking for some bigger moves. Um, if I take three losses in a row, my day is over. It doesn't matter where my PL is. Call it a day because it's only going to get worse. And that's when I start to revenge trade because then I'm starting to try and get back to where I was. Um, and that's the last thing you want to do. I like what you said about mindset there. You can physically see, you know, it's harder when we're online, you can't see the other participants. But I recall seeing you could tell when someone was revenge trading because they literally looked angry. Like they looked like they were ready to fight someone, even though they were just sitting in front of a computer the whole time. So what Dan says, right about, you can make it, you, know, you have a couple of losers. If it's in your strategy, you can make another trade if it's part of your strategy, but keep those checkpoints that am I doing this because I'm just pissed off. Am I grinding my teeth? Am I sweating? Am I maybe crying? I don't know. Some people are emotional <laughs> like that. Don't trade when you're crying. It's a bad no, idea. No, don't trade and cry. <laughs> no, no. You got to yeah. avoid the emotion. If those motions come into play, it's you're going to struggle because you become you become emotionally involved into the trading. And I know it's hard to say and it's hard to do, but you need to keep the motions completely out of your trading. I get it. They're going to come involved on a good trade and a bad trade. You're going to get upset on losers. You're going to feel really good on the winners. That's okay. Um, but when you are choosing to enter and exit these trades, you need to be emotionless. And that's why having a very detailed plan based off of your strategy is so key to success. We have JT in the comments asking about strategies to hold in the winners. I think it plays into the same thing. It, it is that same emotional. When we talk about revenge trading of something being against you, in this case, a loser, like think about that confidence you have when you are revenge trading to double down on a losing position. And suddenly that confidence isn't there when it's, I got to hold this winning position a little longer. It's the same thing. You're feeling fear, uh, essentially fear of losing. And as humans, we always hate losing what we have more than, uh, you know, adding the losses we don't. That is, I'll kick it over to Hope, but my big, what I've seen people revenge trade, including myself, um, it's so easy. I think I've used this example before, but that last amount of money you lose on the trade, even if that's a huge part of money on a normal day, we'll say it's like the extra $5,000 you lose when you would never just sit down and just lose 5,000 if you were scratch, but doubling down the trade, you just got to take it to that level. That is the risk of the revenge trading. You're not making sense of your risk parameters. Um, Hoke, how do you combat that? Or I'm sure you've experienced it as well. 
Well, I you know I like everything that Dan said. I mean, I'm I'm a three losing trade in a row, and that's when I start to switch my flip. Some people maybe it's more of a um, a financial loss that flips their switch. Uh, it's a it's an accountability. You have to get to know yourself to understand when you are putting yourself at risk of revenge trading or of abandoning your strategy or process. Um, so you got to get to know yourself a little bit. My way, my easiest way out of re revenge trading is stop trading. Um, you know, That'll you gotta, yeah, you gotta step away at least for a little while, walk the dog, let it go. The market, like you said, Jack, doesn't care, doesn't know you, doesn't dislike you, doesn't like you. It just does what it does. And when we start revenge trading, we're getting angry at the market. And like everything else in life, when you get angry at a bunch of people, half the people don't know that you're mad. The other half don't care. The only person it affects is you. So you've got to be able to forgive the market, number one, which is basically self-forgiveness, because forgiveness isn't for it for me. It's for you. Uh, isn't for them, I should say. It's for me. Because I don't have to carry that around anymore, and I can get back to making good trading choices. And when you have that emotion, when you have that fear, the way the brain works is it short circuits your ability to, to focus on making good decisions, and it just does them for you. you we know this because, let's say you're walking on a mountain pass in the American West somewhere and you see something out of the corner of your eye that looks like a rattlesnake, you'll be moving away from that rattlesnake long before you think, hey, there's a rattlesnake. And long before you say, hey, there's a rattlesnake, let's get away from it. Mm -hmm. So it's that, that amygdala, it's the lizard brain that is there to protect us, but it doesn't, I don't think, discern very much between something that can actually kill you and something that's just going to cost you money. Although, you know, that's, that can be a, a, a slow death if you, if you think about it, but True. you know, it's, it's always about understanding yourself and where you, where you get taken when things aren't going well to the point where you're just going to abandon everything and start taking grass, grasping at straws, whatever it is, you know, we've all, well, standing next to the pit, we used to, you know, see somebody buy it at eight, buy more at six, buy more at four, buy more at two. And we'd all look at each other and say, he's putting the moron trade on. It's going against him. So he's putting more on. We waited. Until, <laughs> okay. We Got waited that. until he puked out those positions because we knew it was going to be the law. Hogue, you said something too, that I think is really important to make note. You know, you talk about, you know, how emotions only really affect you. No one else cares. Same thing mm -hmm. in trading your losses. The only one you're hurting when you revenge trade is yourself. Um, I can promise you, you may have that one day that it worked and you recovered. Um, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be that, have that day. And over time, it, you're going to know it's got, it's not beneficial for you. Those are the trades you need to avoid. And at the end of the day, the market doesn't care where you're at. The market doesn't care what your PL looks like. The market doesn't care how much money you need to make to pay the bills. Um, if you continue to hurt yourself by revenge trading, the only person that's being hurt by that is you. Is you. That's it. If I could go back in time. Let it go. If I could go back in time, I think that one thing, if I think about every 
because I was trading butterflies, so you would do fading. But if I can think of every time I put on my last level, so to speak, if I had instead just got out of the position there, I would be so much better. I wouldn't be sitting in this basement right now. Um, who knows? Um, also, I think when it's hardwired, I was talking about this the other week, but we all intrinsic, especially uh, people are getting who are new to trading or stuff like that. Everyone wants to fade. There is, I wish I had the belief of, um, and I do sometimes, of most traders that if the price is going up, it has to come down. If the price is going down, it has to come up. And man, is there such belief in that? Because that's where all this revenge trading happens. You know, you don't see anyone going manic, <clears throat> following the trend and just putting on more and more as it goes in their favor or something like that, uh, in part because they'd be up. But it's interesting from a psychological standpoint, isn't it? So, Jack, you just had two song references there. If I could turn back time, share, and spinning wheel, blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. What goes up must come down. Yeah. Well, I got I to gotta play some music after this. I'm, I'm hooked now. All right. Bust out the guitar. Um, I was going to say, too, you know, Jack, you talk about you get into these trades and you start revenge trading because it's gone against you, you know. I think a lot of people start entering into this idea of revenge trading because they're so focused on being right as opposed to being profitable, right? At the end of the day, no one's going to question you if you're consistently profitable, you're making money. You may have been wrong on direction of market 90% of the days, but because you don't let that take over of your ego to be right, but you focus on your process and you focus on profits, that's the end goal, right? Like the only thing you're going to get measured on and pretty much by yourself, you, you're going to measure yourself on, have I been able to be successful, make money in this over time and continue to grow? Um, you're going to look at your P&L. You're not going to look at how many days you guessed the right direction. You don't have to be correct in that. You need to be right in how you're executing your trades, how you're managing your risk and how you're controlling your emotions in those trades. If it's all about, well, it's going to break today. This level is going to break. We're going to see lower lows all day long. I'm going to take this. Oh, here's the bottom. Now I can buy it. And because you keep buying it because you think the bottom's in, it's never going to be in. Never. You start to fight it because you care more about being right and not about being profitable. That is the definition of it right there. And I'd be willing to bet if people were to look back, most traders, not, of course, the people here or the people who are watching right now, this is, I'm not talking about you here, but I would bet for the majority, the vast majority of traders that their worst trade, that they lost more money on that than on their best trade. I think it's more common that people have the big blowout. Now it could be just as bad if you have the really good one on your first trade, Dan, we know that's the kiss of death. Yep. But I think just the behavior that we know of as far as adding the losers and you know, what we hear all the time and not letting winners run, not adding to winners versus easily adding to losers. I think that results into the sort of things that be going along well, but then you have the sort of catastrophic day. That was one of the things that uh, a lot of the prop traders on the floor, they'd have to bring their cards up to the boss at the end of the day. And the boss would thumb through the, through the, the cards. And if he saw that your biggest trade of the day was a loser, you were in trouble. Ooh, that's clever. We should uh, 
Mm-hmm. Gotta start tracking that. You don't mm-hmm. want to. That'd be hard. Yeah, <laughs> so being a position it. trader, you couldn't really break it down. Yeah, yeah. you just no, had to most, manage a position. Right. Well, most uh, most of the prop traders that I knew were you know discretionary day traders. So if they looked through your cards and said, "What the heck is this?" Say, well, I had a little trouble getting out of that one. Why? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was very uncomfortable. How, how did the business work like that with the discretionary day traders, Hogue? You just, uh, what was that like? Were they part of a prop shop or were these people there? Who were they reporting to? Well, there were a lot of people that were working for prop shops, but most of the locals, like in the S&Ps, the bonds, they were just individual traders. They were trading their own money. Okay. Yeah. So... They didn't have any anybody to look out for them, but you know, a, a lot of them did well, but a lot of them didn't last very long. No, that would be terrifying. That was uh, trade your own money is a different ballgame. Oh, sure. yes, the game changer, and that's really where, like, I think you pick up you, you got to be even more cautious about revenge trading. Like, when you're reporting to someone, you have an accountability, you ha- you're trading someone's capital you know, at the end of the day, you want to maintain your job. And if you start to revenge trade and that becomes obvious when you got to go bring all your tickets up and they got to go through them, they're not going to keep you around that long. It's your own money becomes a little easier because you don't have that accountability person there to keep you in check and you're not reporting into someone. That's why I've always said an accountability partner, especially someone that doesn't know trading very well, I think is a huge asset to have. I know a lot of people that have used, you know, spouses, family, friends that don't really know the ins and outs that have used that that as an accountability partner because they come in and this is what I did today. And it's a breakdown. It's a half hour phone call or, you know, just sitting down and chatting with that person. Um, My dad always said he came home from work every single day. And I remember this as a kid because we knew when we could ask my dad for stuff and we knew when we couldn't ask for stuff (laughs) because we'd be sitting at the counter you know, having an after-school snack when dad would walk in from work. And the first thing my mom would say was, how much money did you make today? Very transparent, down to the penny, to all of my siblings and I and my mom. Every single day, we knew what how much money dad made or lost. And he always said it was a nice accountability because I'd walk in and my mom, who doesn't really know anything about trading, would ask him how much <laughs> money he made. And when he had a bad day, she'd go, well, what happened? Why'd you do that? Like, very... And not in a demeaning manner, but was like, well, why'd you lose money today? Why'd you lose that much money today? That's, you know. And what are you freaking stupid? Why'd you lose right. money today? <laughs> and it worked. And he and, and that was his big right. thing is I came home and every day the people that were relying on me to be successful in trading were the ones that I reported how much money I made or lost. And he goes, that's that's a that was a big deal for me coming home and talking about that. He goes, I'd feel really guilty if I came home day after day saying I took a big loser, another loser, another loser. Sorry, guys. You know that we're going to we're going to cut back on Christmas this year, Um, (laughs) stuff like that. And that was, you know, an accountability for him. That's a really good idea, because I think that traders have this may go to a larger point, uh, codependency issues where talking to someone who's not a trader. I'll give you an example. It's like. uh, if you think you have a drinking problem, the people at the bar with you aren't the best to gauge by. Because if you're like, whatever happened to you, like, oh, I just got a DUI, I got to do whatever. Like, oh, it happened to us too. There's no worries about it. You just can't go to Canada for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Can't go to Canada. Uh, You know, audience selection. Somebody that is not involved with those things is probably a better person to gauge, you know, whether you just, everyone wants to avoid being a degenerate at the end of the day, no matter what it is. So, 
Right. We talked about revenge trading here. We've all done it. And I can promise you if Hogue calls me tomorrow and goes, Dan, I had a shit day. I revenge traded. I'd be like, it's all right. We've all been there. Just don't do it again. Like, I'm not going to be as mean to him as maybe his wife might, where if he says, <laughs> honey, uh, that new car you want, it's not happening because I lost a ton of money today revenge trading. She's mean to me on good days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never talked about trading at all uh, with my family. Maybe maybe that would help. But uh, yeah, a lot of them just didn't care. So, you know, and that could... <laughs> So that can lead, as I said, like to suboptimal outcomes. So mostly I would talk about it with traders and that wasn't always the best advice. So I like that half, Dan, you mentioned there. It's well, always there's, helped. There's there's the other side too. I mean, my dad always told me to have an account that my wife doesn't know about. Well, a trading account or a <laughs> yeah. slush fund? I mean, he, he, had a, he had a trading account that was actually, it was an Ira Epstein office that was in the same building Actually, the original 130 South Jefferson Top Step office, that's where the office was. Mm. You guys all have a much uh, more collegial thing as far as the trading stuff. I, I think my my wife, that girlfriend, I don't think she uh, had any idea what I was doing. Just vaguely involved with uh, finance or something like that. It could, yeah. I could have been a bank teller. It would have been the same. Yeah, she just thought you were smart. I don't know if she thought that. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even growing up in this industry, it took me a while to understand what was actually happening. Yeah. You know, I remember being, you know, 10, 12 years old thinking my dad worked in, you know, he was just a normal office guy, even though I had been down to the floor my whole life. I know everything about it, but like, I still didn't really realize what was happening. And I thought it was like, oh, it's just dad's at the office, like, you know, sitting behind a desk, even though I knew he didn't sit at a desk. I remember not wanting to tell people what my dad did because he was a traitor, thinking he'd be he was like Benedict Arnold, like a traitor. You might get the same reaction today, depending on where you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So good stuff on revenge trading. I see a lot of people, I like the people in the comments are talking about like uh breaking the rules or stuff like that. Uh love the honesty about that, y'all. Like that's a good start at least. Um yeah, and Ho will be back tomorrow morning, I think, trying to do the new stream again. It yep. worked well today, so it should be fun. I think so. Tomorrow, flawless. Flawless. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be like perfect. the Coen Brothers meets Stanley Kubrick of YouTube morning trading shows. Best of ever, ever, anything ever. And then tomorrow it'll be canceled for internet outage, but we'll yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm solid. I think I'm good. Nice. And then it's working Dan, right now. We'll probably be back next Thursday. You got anything else you want to say? I was going to say plug for a second, like you were like a guest or something. I got nothing to plug. I uh, I appreciate Hogue letting us take over some recap time here to talk about revenge trading. It's oh, nice it's to awesome. having a, someone else yeah. in the room with us, Jack. Yeah, sure. if you're around, it's nice to bounce things back and forth. It feels it less. It takes the pressure off of kind of, tr you know, driving things back and forth. You know, mm -hmm. if I have that long pause, I'm just like, uh, you know, I don't have to see it because I edit that thing, so I got to listen to all that. So. The, the, uh, <laughs> yes, the uh, long, awkward pause, always fun, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow morning, man. Yeah, and for everyone else who's listening to this not on YouTube, we'll be back next week. Have a great weekend after tomorrow, which is Friday. Namaste and trade well. We'll see you next time. 
The Limit Up Podcast is a presentation of Top Step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about our futures trading combine and how you can become a funded trader. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.